I don't think I'm ever going to forget what a French taxi driver said to me the last time I was lucky enough to be in Paris. Madame, I'm 32 years old and I'm not about to start studying at my age. I often say I'd speak to the hunchback of Notre Dame if it were in French. So when I caught the taxi, I had a captive audience on whom to practice my French. For those of you who listen to my podcasts, I think you'll agree that I am one of life's optimists, but my conversation with him left me stumped and a bit depressed. My taxi driver basically hated his job, as many of us do at some stage in our working lives. What was there not to hate? 11 hour days, terrible traffic jams, and some of the world's most aggressive drivers. My monsieur was actually very slim, but he told me with a little bit of bitterness in his voice that he was able to achieve this by very carefully watching his diet because he didn't have any time for exercise. I was very wary about how I responded to him because I didn't want to offer any superficial support, but I gently alluded to the possibility of him reinventing himself, as I call it, by studying for another type of work, only to hear his depressing reply that, from a career perspective, life had passed him by. Welcome to Career Chinwags for the 21st Century. I'm a career practitioner called Catherine Cunningham, who's worked with thousands of clients over the past 20 years, so I've had quite a bit of time to think about career issues. Each podcast, I pick up on an issue that takes my fancy. Some are extremely practical, like episode 11, where I talk about how to write a great cover letter. Other episodes tend to cover more big picture topics like Podcast 24, where I pick up on marketing advice from the world's top business experts and transfer it across to the career space to help you stay in front of mind of your target market. In today's episode, I'm going to talk about the all-too-common midlife crisis. But before I do, I have some exciting personal news. The week after next, I'm off to Europe, where I'll join my husband Phil to go bike riding in Italy, Germany and France with a few French lessons thrown in in the Loire Valley. It's been three years, so you can imagine how excited I am. I do have a slight worry. You might remember I've broken my femur nearly eight months ago, and it's still not quite right. I've got an electric bike. I'm copping out and having an electric bike, but it's still probably five to six hours of bike riding a day, so I've got my fingers crossed I'll be okay. More to the point from the podcast point of view is there may be a small delay in podcasts over the next little while. So back to business. Are you suffering from a midlife career crisis? Naturally, I often meet people who face circumstances in their lives which interfere with their career aspirations. What worried me about my Parisian taxi driver was that he appeared to have reached the tipping point where I could imagine him growing more and more bitter year after year. You can imagine how upset people can be when they feel like that in their 40s and 50s. I often support people in the middle or later periods of their working life to make important career decisions, and typically they feel that their career has stalled, or they're suffering from burnout, or they're just not getting any satisfaction from their work. They also typically come in worried about how difficult it will be for them to make changes because of their age. And in fact, it's usually the first thing they say when they come into my room, I'm not going to be able to do this because I'm over 50. 
As I said, I am an optimist and I think there are actions that we can take to overcome this sense of helplessness. And here are my top five tips. Tip number one is one I've covered in a separate podcast. But given that I'm sure you haven't listened to all my podcasts, and given that it's such an important issue, I'm going to repeat myself a bit here. I want you to think about optimizing the bell curve of satisfaction. So if you know what bell curves are, it looks like a, a hill. In the bell curve of satisfaction when it comes to a job role, at the start of the curve on the left-hand side, you're probably grappling with your role and, and you're not all that happy. Gradually, though, you move up the bell curve and you start to really enjoy life at work. At the top of the bell curve is when you're still enjoying it, but things have plateaued. And then most of us face times in our life when our current work or current employer just no longer satisfies us. The essential is not to be trapped. Don't wait until you're on that slippery downward slope, because that means that too much of your working life is spent in this negative state. So even though you may be perfectly happy in your current job, with your current employer, start looking for the next stage or the next job when you're at the top of the bell curve. As soon as things become cruisy, it's time for change. That way, throughout your entire life, you spend your time in the positive part of the bell curve, which means you're always enjoying and getting satisfaction from your job. Tip number two, protect your greatest income earning asset. I can't tell you the number of senior people I meet who have stopped doing any training, and it's usually because they don't want to take time away from work. I suggest you internalize training or education into your working life right from the start. I was asked in a survey today about my sport activity and the, the woman said, why do you do it? And I said, because sport and exercise has been hardwired into me since the age of six. So I could not contemplate not doing sport. And I think from a career point of view, you should do the same thing with training and education. Don't wait 14 years like my taxi driver did, because you're likely to have the same reaction as he did, which is, it's too late. If you do the maths, over an average working life of 40 years, at a salary, a pretty low salary of $40,000, your lifetime gross earnings are likely to be more than $1.6 million. Now, if somebody handed you that sum of money and you simply stacked it under your bed and didn't try to increase its value, most people would think you're crazy. Yet that's what many people do. Unless you are going to inherit wealth, you are your best income-earning asset. So it makes sense to keep up to date with the requirements of the current working world and to try to meet future requirements. And as I've spoken about many times, luckily these days, it's possible to take advantage of what's called micro-credentials. That's when you don't do a full degree or diploma, but you instead sign up for a short, sharp technical training. If you're interested, head over to what are called MOOC sites, Massive Open Online Courses, Coursera.com and edX.com. They're two of the most famous. Tip number three, 
Know yourself and minimise career mistakes. Start by assessing your key career drivers. And one of my favourite self-assessment exercises is career anchors. And I'll put the link to that in the show notes. When one of my older clients reviews their results from career anchors, there's usually an aha moment. And this simple but telling activity allows them to understand why they've made the various career moves over the years. If you can complete the exercise at an earlier stage of your working life, it may help you make better career choices. And I've spoken about other classic self-assessment exercises in previous podcasts, where we start by mapping the ideal world. So to recap, our clients complete simple but telling exercises covering critical elements that affect job satisfaction. And the work we do integrates a whole lot of information about personality, skills and interests, preferred work environment and career values. When they do this, our clients construct their ideal job fit. And the next step is for our clients to assess what is happening in their personal lives. And this might be as simple as the need to spend more time with with an ageing parent or someone who wants to give their children an expensive education. So issues like this clearly affect your next career move. Once our clients, though, have a clearer idea of both their ideal world and the current realities of their personal lives, they're able to look at their options with more clarity. Tip number four, investigate options with your current employer first. In my experience, Australians are quite passive when it comes to managing their careers. If they're not happy, they think their only choice is to leave. In fact, and everybody gets quite surprised at this, at any one time in our lives, there are seven separate career moves we can make, and only one of those seven is to leave. At the risk of boring you, I'll go through all seven. We can stay in our job exactly as it is. We can stay in our job and tweak it. We can move to a more senior role. We can move to a more junior role. We can move sideways. We can investigate internal possibilities. And number seven, we can leave. So one of the first things for you to think about is whether you actually need to leave your organisation to achieve better career satisfaction. Unless your dissatisfaction is with your employer rather than the role itself, it makes sense to learn how to fossick around for other opportunities right where you are. The grass isn't always greener on the other side. And my final tip is to think carefully about leaving to become a consultant. It's been more than 20 years since I vowed that I would never put my fate in the hands of someone else again and started the consulting life. Looking back, that's not the most positive reason for leaving paid employment. Luckily for me, I'd already done my thinking about what sort of match it was with my career essentials, and I got a tick on all of the elements, and the timing was just a coincidence. In fact, I'm so happy as a consultant that I often now say I'm unemployable. In my early years, I had a very low opinion of my ability to actually be a successful consultant, and that took me lots of time to get over. I would set up lots of coffee meetings with fellow consultants to pick their brain, hoping that some of their supposed magic would rub off on me. I can still remember my shock back then when I read a business article which said that the average consultant earned about $30,000 a year, i.e. they had a very high hourly charge-out rate 
but not much paid work. That galvanised me into much more vigorous sales activity, I can tell you. I was determined not to be one of those types of consultants. Since I started as a career transition specialist, I've met many executives facing a midlife crisis who think they'll escape the corporate rat race and have a wonderful time as a consultant. I jokingly say that my role is to take them out for a coffee and try to scare the living daylights out of them. And then if that doesn't work, and they still want to be a consultant, to switch to providing them with the support to maximise the likelihood of it all working. More seriously, over that time, there's two key lessons that I've learned. The first one is specialise, specialise, specialise. And the second one is if you're not prepared to drive your consulting practice as a business, you are unlikely to succeed. So let's talk about specialising. When I started my consulting life, I was a generalist HR operator. I was no better or no worse than many other consultants, which meant that my success directly correlated with my sales ability. A prospective client sitting opposite me would have many others to choose from, so why would they choose me? And they generally didn't because I wasn't very good at direct selling and because there were plenty of other people out there who were more charming, more persistent, better at maintaining those sorts of relationships than I was. After I accidentally fell into the career space, life became easier. I worked on a huge range of projects early on, from a large voluntary redundancy project in downtown Port Augusta to huge factory shutdowns at Black & Decker and Mattel in Malaysia. So if anyone visits my office, you'll see various Barbie dolls scattered around because the Mattel people kept giving me Barbies as presents. As a specialist, I was able to deepen my knowledge and expertise and more easily differentiate myself from other consultants. It doesn't mean I don't stretch myself if a client asks me to complete related work, but I don't sell that message to the general marketplace. So I repeat and stress, find a technical niche to hang your hat on and don't stray too far from it. And the second point, I think you need to view yourself as the CEO of your practice. In the early days of most practices, you often pick up work from current contacts or former employers. This will usually last you 18 months at most, and then you'll be like the rest of us. You will need to prospect for more work. As a sole practitioner, you'll be performing all of the roles initially, from buying stationery to setting the vision for your practice. What we're talking about is a mixture of getting the practicalities down pat, having a skilled, active and ongoing marketing selling campaign and working on the business as well as in the business. There's also the issue, the key issue of power. If you were a line manager in your former life, it can be quite disconcerting to realise that you have no power as a consultant, only influence. Yes, I know that current leaders are supposed to achieve through influencing others, but there is still a key difference. I love the collegiate atmosphere of the consulting world, but you need to carefully assess whether it's for you. So if you think you will get a great deal of satisfaction forging your own pathway in life and endlessly striving and driving and planning and scheming, 
in the good sense of the word, then do it. Otherwise, stick with being an employee. And finally, it's not a tip, but it's time to dismiss that unhealthy focus on age as a reason why change won't work. I talk about it in other podcasts, but to summarise, when it comes to a successful career transition, age is nowhere near as important as other issues. For example, do you convey high levels of energy and enthusiasm to a prospective employer? Have you kept up to date with modern workplace thinking and behaviour? Are you prepared to put time and effort into achieving your dream job? Whether you decide to stay put or move on, it's a good idea to make ongoing career planning a standard part of your working life. The easiest way to ensure this happens is to do one or all of the following things. Set up a three-monthly review of your goals and action plans. And or meet with a group of like-minded people. And or find a mentor and incorporate career planning into the meetings. Watch for signs of career self-damage or ask those close to you to hold you accountable. The typical signs I see are bitterness, a lack of self-confidence, a feeling of a lack of power and the proverbial chip on the shoulder. I truly believe that 12 months is the maximum period of time we should spend in a job where we're not happy. Any longer, and I think it's a very rare person who doesn't suffer from the unhappiness. So as soon as you notice that the love affair is over, start your job search immediately so that you minimise the time you spend turning up to work each day unhappy. When I decided to stop being a French teacher many years ago, I unknowingly took the micro-credential path. While I was still working as a teacher, I spent six months learning Japanese, which back then was the language of choice in hospitality. And I had the support of a very astute friend. Her help enabled me to persuade prospective employers in five-star hotels in Queensland that I could move seamlessly across to work for them. These days, valuable career information is available free of charge on the internet. Take advantage of it, find an astute friend, and get started on reshaping your career, if you need to, no matter what your age. Have the courage of your convictions and then act sooner rather than later, and you'll find that life can and does begin at 40, 50, and even 60. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you like what you've heard, I'd love it if you could share the podcast or leave a review. At this stage, I'm doing a podcast every few weeks, and next episode, I'm going to revert back to our MBTI series, where I examine each of the 16 famous profiles one at a time. Remember, there's show notes on the website, which is careerconsult.com.au, and I do a regular mail-out of videos, blogs, and infographics. If you're interested, you'll find a sign-up form on the website, or contact us at the office at admin at careerconsult.com.au. As always, let's finish with that wonderful hashtag, hashtag, why not be happy at work?